Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your week in sports cars, just jamboree of questions and answers and silliness. And <laughs> we'll talk about balance of performance, balance of primates, uh, yes, front noses. Uh, yes. We're going to talk about all kinds of things, Graham Goodwin. But, but- but apparently, Marshall, not Weckety Weck. Jeff Barrack says, can we not call it Weckety Weck? See, unfortunately, Jeff, you don't know me well enough to understand that the worst mistake you could have made is ask for us, specifically me, to stop doing something because that just makes me want to do it a whole bunch more. So, yes, welcome to the new Week in Weckety Weck by uh marshall weckett and weckett goodwin so yeah. uh boys and girls don't weck it please we're uh we're just wanting to maintain uh, as high standards as possible but indeed we're here that's uh graham goodwin editor of dailysportscar.com uh Hi. face mouth and mm. sound provider for weckety weck uh the elms uh, what else? The Aslamses? Uh, uh, Aslamses, Weck, Weckity Weck, 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 um, ELMS, Michelin Cup, um, and, and, and other things to come. Can uh, we just say that? SCCA World Challenge, if we, uh, if we, we go back a, in a time machine. Uh, Leisure European Series. Yes, exactly. A little bit of British GT back in the day. Group 6 back in the uh, early <laughs> 70s. I mean, this guy, I'm telling you, he's been everywhere. Uh, I'm Marshall Pruitt. I don't know what the heck I do, but I do something. Graham, let's say a big thank you to all the fine folks who sent in questions, of which we have many, and we will get to as many as we can here as soon as we shut up with our little preamble. Okay, my preamble. Uh, big thank you as always. Super thank you to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, in torontomotorsports.com so with all of those words spilled out of my mouth my face graham goodwin i suggest that we get rolling so where should we start i think we should uh, break tradition by starting at the beginning what and uh, daniel summers came on again thanks daniel for putting together the questions and again they are legion um has grouped them because uh, we like a group uh, grouped them in a variety of, uh, of ways. The first one is BOP. Balance of? Uh, performance. In okay, this case. Not, we're not and talking about questions. it. So tech questions. And there's a range of these. Um, GTP BOP. Uh, any idea how much the GTP BOP for IMSA is being guided by the WEC? Sebring race saw identical BOP numbers between the Cadillac and Porsche between the two series. And now for Long Beach, everyone is running lighter in GTP, including the Cadillac and the Porsche, than the corresponding WEC hypercars in Port in Mao. Also, are the methods for determining BOP different between the two? Well, I think the answer is there are tiny, tiny differences. And MP, please do dive in um, with, with, uh, with your thoughts here. With WEC, it is based on a platform BOP. What do I mean by that? Well, that's because in WC, the hypercar class has both the LMTH spec cars that uh, form at the moment the full GTP grid and LMH cars, um, the uh, rather different rule book. Therefore, um, they've got a platform BOP to suit either side of the, uh, of the fence for those. 
it, it, I think it's fair to say, MP, I think we expect, for the time being at least, that to match GTP as close as possible and adjust from there. With WEC, the rule at the moment is that they can adjust that platform BOP every two races, or rather no more than every two races. Although we do have a baseline BOP already published for round two of the WEC at Portimao, and we'll be leaving uh, for Portimao in our four-week odyssey around Europe with the WEC and ELMS. We're leaving midweek uh, in Easter week, because this uh, in the UK at the moment is Good Friday. Um, then we've got Not Bad Saturday, absolutely fantastic Sunday, an amazing Monday, still to come in Easter weekend. Um, so... Do I expect to see a pretty similar methodology? Yes. Do I expect to see absolute um, open book across between the two series and their technical teams? Absolutely, yes, I do. And for the most part, I expect to see the same between the manufacturers in both those championships. At the moment, there are two of them. And uh, later, we very much know there are going to be three and quite probably eventually all four of the current GTP teams. So... um, Convergence is just that. Uh, They're trying to keep this as close as possible, learn as much as they can from the amount of data they're carrying uh, from each test and race meeting. And I think we'll see a kind of evolving situation, MP. Are you hearing, seeing anything different to that? No, the only thing I would add to this, though, and it, it has surprised me a wee bit, if I'm playing rule maker for 2023 maybe and only this season i'm not putting any strictures guidelines or limitations on bop updates for gtp slash lmdh uh, or hypercar be it WEC, itty WEC, that's just for you jeff brock um or imsa why well very simple we're getting to know new things not uncommon in years past, of course, when we year two, three, four, ten, whatever it is, in a existing and well-known and well-developed formula to say, okay, a little bit of a moratorium between BOP adjustments, right? But at least in these early stages where we're just getting to know these cars, learning things, major things at every event, how they compete against one another, their relative shortcomings, etc., etc. I would think it might not be a bad thing and i would hope manufacturers would buy into the process of okay we're going to be a little more active in making adjustments because there's still just so much for us to learn so that's really the only thing that stands out but yeah to your point in recent years maybe prior to convergence being not just announced but properly acted upon there are some definite wedges divides and other ideological things that kept imsa and the wec on very different pages we obviously ended up graham with two different prototype formulas so it's not as if they ever found common ground but i can say all that i've heard not the public-facing words, right? We're in press conferences together with IMSA and WEC folks, and they're all saying happy things and singing from the same hymn sheet. I'm talking about the behind-the-scenes part. You hear, now they're really, truly working together, collaborating, open book, crazy amounts of data sharing, great ideas coming back and forth, and 
being bonded in a very important way to make sure that the hypercar and GTP slash LMDH formulas work, whether it's on American tracks, European tracks, Asian tracks, wherever they might be. And that is heartening to know. Uh, so, yeah, I think this is going to end up being less of a calamity in terms of BOP and cars competing mostly fairly against one another. But, of course, <laughs> all of those words mean nothing until we get into uh, the waving of the tricolor Saturday to start the 24 hours of Le Mans and find out if anyone runs Wayne Hides, if anybody is just dragging an anchor or whatever else might be a serious race-based imbalance. Uh, I don't know if qualifying is anything I'm going to put too much faith into measuring BOP, unless there is, again, it's just some sort of crazy oddity that stands out. But we're going to find out uh, here in the middle of June, Graham, uh, the biggest and most important test of BOP expression, whether they done got it right. Absolutely right. Um, let's move on for another couple of bits and pieces. William Matson, by the way, says, does the WC have a similar system? Jim says virtual fuel tank. Yes, more or less identical. If not, how do they balance up fuel consumption? It is basically an attempt here to get these two processes as close as is possible uh, so that you can learn more from the same data or learn more from two sets of data. Should we um, tell them about the very unique difference, though, in WEC uh, when it comes to this? In the it. cockpit, and I, don't, I think you might have done a piece on this um, six days ago on Daily Sports Car, but there is a very small bicycle in the cockpit yep. of the uh, the yep. WEC cars connected to a battery. So during mm -hmm. pit stops, the drivers actually have to sit there and crank, and there's a little light bulb dangling from inside the car roof, which tells you that they're generating electricity. So, yeah, uh, it's basically who can pedal the fastest to recharge the batteries and such. So it's pretty cool. It's, it's basically just a throwback to the 1920s and having the riding mechanic uh, and in this case, you've got to kind of uh, open the safety bar, move over to the small Peloton bike, yes. and away you go. So we do expect Peloton to be announced as a corporate sponsor for the, not calling it the Weckity Weck. Um, uh, Pelity Pel. Pelity Pel. Yes, there um, you go. Later this season. Um, what else? Vincent1701 uh, has a question. Uh, he says, the aero package on the Acura sure looks like a front wing. <laughs> What makes right. it a front wing versus a design element? Well, that's Down really force. easy to answer. The shape. So if the bottom of that hockey stick uh, on the front of the Acura Air X05 and now Air X06 had a wing profile, then it would be a wing. But it does not. Uh, it has curvature to it, so it's not too far out of the realm of where you start to get to a wing, but it is indeed not a wing because it would have to be properly shaped like a wing in order to be a wing. So that's what makes something a wing versus not a wing. Got it? Okay. Good. Wing, yeah. not wing. Am I uh, winging it, it here, Graham? You did. You're definitely wing it along. It's uh, it's uh, yeah, certainly not flapping. So that's okay. Um, why don't we go to says who let me read something to you you're doing all the heavy go on here we're I, but on. i didn't hear who you said uh ian mcmillan ian mcmillan ian mcmillan we just we celebrate you 
Ian, if I, nobody else I've does. I've heard that name before. That might be a new name for us, in which case, if it is, welcome, Ian. If it's not, I'm sorry I'm an idiot. Yes, but if, if so, if this is your first, we just want to let you know we like you better than everybody else. So yeah. I think that's that happens. Um, it says, how long does an engine last in the WC in general? Mm-hmm. Uh, does it vary between categories? Hypercar, LMP2, GTE? Unless it blows up or something, does it... Does Toyota finish the season with the same engines in the cars? They started. What's the word? I want specifics, uh, Goodwin. So the answer is it's, not, it's not, not category specific, but it is car specific. Every engine is different. Um, I think I'm right. There is a restriction on the number of engines they can use in a season now. I'd have to go away and check. LMP2 is different. LMP2, the teams don't own those engines. They are leased from Gibson. There are 62 uh, of those GK428 uh, engines, the 4.2-litre normally aspirated engines, there are 62 in existence. You lease them on the basis of hours of running. Um, it's as simple as that, and you pay accordingly. You are effectively renting that engine for a period of time, and those those engines can be recalled by Gibson for rebuild, uh, at any given point and at each of the races where you'll see those cars competing whether or not that be IMSA, WC, Asia Le Mans Series, European Le Mans Series there will be Gibson support with some spare engines around they have MP been remarkably reliable uh, over the period of time those those uh, engines have been uh, the standard fit for the rest of the cars you would expect I think uh, you'll often see particularly at the the, the biggest races, the teams doing a powertrain switch uh, between uh, well, usually post-qualifying uh, and putting in a race engine for something like the Rolex 24, the Le Mans 24 hours, etc., etc. So you expect major rebuilds of those engines after a fair degree of running. But equally true to say that those, those engines get a lot more running now than they did five years ago, 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, um, that the, the precision of modern engineering has taken things forward very considerably. Um, if an engine blows up, pretty clearly, they're going to they're gonna change it. But uh, it is remarkably rare now to see a car, particularly in, the, in top-class racing. For that matter, I, I, can you remember the last time we saw a, a GTE, GTLM car? Have an engine blow up. We did have a, there was a Porsche at Le Mans a few years ago, very early in the race, which tends to indicate it was sort of finger trouble uh, somewhere. But very, very unusual to see uh, an engine failure in top line GT racing, and equally unusual to see it in top line prototype racing. Although the Glickenhaus, I think, did suffer an engine problem with its people motor uh, turbo. Uh, at Sebring, but it is remarkably rare now, Ian. Another, another thing just to add to that, mm. what time What time does the uh, the Saturday morning uh, warm-up take place at Lamar Graham? Oh, it's silly early. It's about 8.30, isn't it? Yeah, and so part of the reason for that, not uncommon in the classes where it's allowed um, and there's a reason to do so it's not uncommon just like at the indianapolis 500 24 hours of daytona maybe not so much 12 hours of sebring but at the events that are crazy high on the prestige level 
or duration level, it's not uncommon for new motors slash fresh motors to be installed prior to the race, after qualifying, prior to the race. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, Indy 500, for example, they have very strict how many engines you can use per season, how many miles they must attain before you change them out, etc., in their rules, though, there's a one specific caveat that says, yeah, except for the Indy 500. <laughs> yeah. You can, you can uh, take the motor out and put in something just fresh, fresh from Chevrolet or Honda or whomever and run that because it's our biggest race of the year. Not uncommon, Ian, talking about uh, Le Mans, for a manufacturer, for whatever team, if they have the ability uh, to put something in fresh ahead of that big 24-hour race. Uh, because if you think about the amount of hours put on an engine through Wednesday, Thursday, right, practice and qualifying, there's a decent amount of on-track time. And when we just think about durability, we tend to think of doing 24-hour tests, maybe a 30-hour test. Yep. Yeah, do you want to roll into the 24 hours of Le Mans with eight hours or whatever the number might be on your engine or 10, probably not. So that's why instead of having the pre-race warm up an hour before the start, <laughs> they tend to fire you off early in the morning because this will be not only the first, but also the last time to do what's called an installation check. You've bolted in this new motor, high precision crew doing that, but finger trouble could happen right a clamp might not be affixed properly who knows a misfire uh, a leak of, of fluid or whatever you want to be able to go out do those installation usually one lap is all you do and out and in and they will pop the engine cover take all big look around use flashlights if needed and try and find any little thing that might not be perfect before sending the car back out to complete warm-up and they'll do balance checks and make sure that everything is right on the handling of the car but they're also paying a particularly keen eye on the engine side temperatures pressures fluids leaks electrical everything because that's really again the one final chance and brief chance to make sure the work you did after qualifying bolting in that new lump was done to perfection graham goodwin why don't we go to steve tenney says, I enjoy the podcast. Well, that's good, Steve, because you you'd be, uh, I guess, hate sending questions in. And that's, I guess that could be fun. I need, we should do that. We should oh, yeah. find some, some sports car podcasts and hate send questions in. Um, or maybe we well, should. very few of them get questions. So apart from ours, so well, it would yeah, stand out. Kinda, yeah, I guess there's that. He says, Hey, can you explain to me the SRO's approach and adjusting the BMW M4 GT3 boost? Between qualifying and the race at Sonoma during the recent GTWC event, says there was no announcement addressing what was done that I can find, but they effectively rendered the car uncompetitive. Another thing about inviting folks to send in questions, Graham, for our weekly mm-hmm. sports car podcast, sometimes they're really, really hyper specific. So I yeah. hope you know the answer because I sure as heck don't. Nope. Uh, but all I would say is this. It, it it clearly indicates that the powers that be at uh, SR America 
felt that the car was performing uh, in, how can I put this, above what they expected with what had been dealt to it. And that's always where problems come, isn't it? If you're having to put in a last-minute change for something you're seeing and weren't expecting, it is a bit then of a spitball. It is a finger-in-the-air job. And I will admit to not having uh, caught up with what actually happened at Sonoma. We have uh, Audio O'Connell for Delhi Sports Car Keeps an eye on Esra America, but I've had my eyes on other things which you'll be hearing about in due course. Why don't you uh, text or email RJ and maybe we can do what we occasionally do is circle back and answer the question live. I'll try. During the podcast, even though it's not live, but we'll see if and what we can do. Let's try. Let's see whether or not we can get the the young man on. Okay. Okay. And so while you're doing that, I will go to, who do we go to? Ryan Terpstra, a man from michigan uh he says the vanilla and then mm. says well that's what my phone autocorrected van will do <laughs> showed up and was better than the glickenhaus which of those two teams will have the best overall result this year and where gotta admit um, just as a little thing graham i was watching mm. some of the slow motion footage um of the vanilla last night mm-hmm. at sebring and it wasn't great corners is what i'm referring to um mm-hmm. it, but it wasn't as bad as i thought there's some rigidity at the rear yeah. of the car some lack of rigidity and i'm not talking about it was under damped and under springed and it was flopping all around i mean it would go over a bump or be under compression and uh, on one side before transferring to the other and you can okay. just see the back of the chassis kind of warble and wobble a little bit like okay oh we're, we're gonna need to strengthen some things up but just i mentioned other than that it wasn't atrocious like I, wow I, I, I think i think the answer on that front and please don't kill us Con- Con- call us by the way please uh no drone strikes um or anything like that please no no black suvs pulling up and no. uh rendering us uh no yes. it's a very nice man they wouldn't possibly do no, things like that beautiful would you call it lovely um so i think the answer on let's deal with the with the the collis car first the which vanilla. is yes it's the sort of no excuse for it not to be in the window is there um it is they've got experience in lmp1 um, they've got experience with that 4.5 liter version of the 4.2 liter Gibson I was talking about a little earlier. Uh, it, it looks to me to be a sort of evolution of their LMP1 concept, and on that basis, there's nothing to suggest that they shouldn't be able to provide uh, to to put out a reasonably reliable, reasonably competitive package from day one they've not got the hybrid system on the car um there is absolutely no excuse for it coming out and being unreliable and in fairness it was reliable in the race right up until the point where the Peugeot hit it from behind um and after that things started to go south pretty quickly I they think did you, might have, you might have just identified the Peugeot's just number one capabilities and skill at Sebring ramming running into things because i don't know if yes. it did anything else worth 
uh, much. Can I mention another thing great, too? Having seen yeah. the nine X eight for the first time, uh, live and in front of my eyeballs also with the debut of the sublime, the very, very pretty, uh, Ferrari 499 P and mm-hmm. the rest of the cars the uh, the Glickenhaus in blue is just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, really underwhelmed by the livery choice uh, for the 9X8. It, it, I know this is meaningless, right? Of course, we're here to perform and win and sell cars and do all these things. But having seen all of the vehicles it was competing against, from the Penske Porsches to the Toyotas, etc., it just has it's this kind of cadaver gray like eh. and then with a lot of black lettering on top of it as well so seeing it with my eyeballs then going and shooting photographs of it and looking at the photographs and even video i just i gotta admit graham i'm like man i love this brand boy everything they did back in the 90s with 905s and then the 908s and the the 2000s and just again loved it just amazing if the car is going quickly and succeeding you can kind of overlook that but when the thing is not doing much on track and to me at least looks like someone made some dreadful livery choices as well you're you're ticking all the wrong boxes so many 9x8 rant over but i was really under i like design wise phenomenal blow like mm-hmm. i love it like bodywork on bodywork off love all of it got as many photos as i could just love it but just as a vehicle uh assembled and moving uh wow yeah uh yeah go van wall no joke go van wall like if nothing else that thing looks awesome i love green it's got tone on tone green it has the most bizarre if there was a competition to assemble the most random ass drive three driver collection for a uh, a modern day sports car factory effort it wins that award as well like i'm just saying i'd rather stare at van walls uh, at least going around the track than these uh pugiats uh at the moment yeah. so and i know they don't well listen i think i think i think i could reasonably accurately predict that that driver's lineup will not stay the same beyond june but um but that that, that aside uh, the question actually went on to ask about whether or not the better results would come the way of the van wall or the clicking house i'll answer that question after portimao I think um, it, it, I thought there were worrying signs at Sebring of Jim Clickenhouse being pretty down about things. I think he's realised that the game has moved on, as is predictably the case once you start getting the big names in and they start doing that uh, that testing thing. I think he also realised they have made a tactical blunder by not testing properly. Uh, one of the two. Houses did run at Sebring, but not as a competitive test, if you like. But I think he realised they'd made a mistake and he realised competitively they really were nowhere. Uh, and that is a tough track to get right. It still remains my uh, position on the Peugeot, by the way. They knew they were in trouble. 
they i think they knew the concept would work less well there than anywhere else they knew they had a problem with their gearbox actuator which will be changed in time for porting out uh they've done uh a, a another endurance test in fact the last week and my view would be unless i believe they will show a significantly more competitive face at Portimao, um, a circuit that is significantly better suited to their concept, uh, a circuit where they have tested reasonably extensively. Uh, if they don't, they're in trouble. As for the two minnows, and with the third, the Asato Fraschini, due to test for the fir- first time this week. Hello to Dario um, Marino Franchitti, by the way. Absolutely. The, uh, the, 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 a lot of Franchitti. Uh, uh, I think those two cars, it's going to be interesting. Remember, the Glickenhaus has raced at Portimao. They will have plenty of data for that. If they don't show well there, I think that effort is in major trouble. Um, but I expect them to be significantly better at Portimao than we saw at Sebring. I expect the same for Peugeot. I expect uh, Ferrari to have learned some pretty hard lessons uh at uh from sebring and it's going to be very interesting indeed to see how the porsche goes with significantly more testing under its wheels than the cadillac which has not yet tested in europe uh so lots of questions up in the air about this extraordinary grid which is just getting bigger um or you know of the of the hypercars with one more to come of course at spa in round three with the Hertz Team Joda car. It's cooking up nicely, isn't it? And, you know, we, we, we're getting MP already after one race with these cars together as a group into some pretty testy questions, testy and test testing questions about just how things are going to pan out. For me, probably the most interesting race of the season is going to come at the end of uh, next week at Portimao. I think that will start to pose questions and answer some other questions, which will be keeping us busy uh, as TV commentators, as podcasters, as journalists for months to come. Um, We're about to see how this thing evolves, evolves in competitive terms and evolves in terms of the process that supports that, whether or not that's BOP, the other technical adjustments that can be made here. Uh, I think we're about to see this begin to take flight. Word up. Uh, hey, guess who we have on the line? Daniel Summerskill checking Ooh. in. Uh, he says, I don't want to be a harbinger of doom. Yes, you do. Stop lying. But will the reduction of auto invitations for the Le Mans 24-hour Graham, particularly in the Asian Le Mans series and Michelin Le Mans Cup, cause the car counts in these series fall from the record entries seen in recent years due to the lack of incentives to enter those series going forward. Ripple effects, great, what do you think? It's a, it, it's a really good question. I mean, first and foremost, to explain what Daniel's asking about here. So um, up until this current year, we, we started to see a, a kind of a reduction in the number of automatic invitations being awarded. And that was happening was at a high level because the level of factory entries was at a low level. Now that's beginning, well, not beginning, it's it's in full flight now, isn't it? That's being reeled in by the ACO, who are giving away fewer um, uh, automatic invitations moving forward. 
uh, in Michelin Le Mans Cup. To this point, the GT3 Championship winner, winning team were awarded uh, an automatic invitation. That's not the case in 2023. In um, the Asia Le Mans series, we saw the reeling in there of uh, entries with, uh, previously, there was a formula that applied to both the European and Asia Le Mans series based on the number of cars uh, entered for the full season. That meant that the Asian Le Mans series, with an extraordinary entry last year in GT3, had four invitations, uh, very close to being five, uh, from their GT3 class. So in real terms, what are we talking about here? We're talking about something like 17 uh, automatic entries coming down to something closer, close to breaking double figures. Uh, uh, by the way, amongst the other automatic entries that have gone, and Daniel hasn't mentioned it, is no longer do the privateer teams that take the class wins at Le Mans get an automatic entry for the following year. And I can tell you that caught out at least one team uh, coming into this year who'd expected that to be the case. Uh, but that, that regulation changed for last year's race, for the 2022 race. And so the LMP2 and GTE AM winners did not get an automatic invitation for the 2023 race and therefore had to find other ways to, to earn those things. So we are going to see some further changes. The further change we expect to see, and I'd expect to see this announced sooner rather than later, is what is going to happen about LMP2. Uh, and there I expect there will be something like 10 automatic uh, invitations via the European Le Mans series, which whoever you expect the core of the um, the entry for the Le Mans 24 hours in the future to come to. This is presuming that we do hear that the FIWC will cease the LMP2 class in time for the 2024 season. Um, I expect that class, the LMP2 class, to be boosted to a, somewhere around the 15 mark with automatic entry through the Asia Le Mans series, with, I'm sure, retaining an entry through the Emerson Weather Tech Sports Card Championship and giving the opportunity for the selection committee for Le Mans to put another handful of cars in. There's all sorts of things coming into sharper focus now, um, and includes, by the way, in something that happened just after uh, we put up the call for questions, which is we now know something we didn't know about the uh, LMGT3 class MP, which is the class that's going to replace GTM in the FI World Insurance Championship, and there will be GT3 cars as well in the ELMS. And that is that it's going to be Goodyear tyres on those cars. Wow, so you know... uh, three-year contract for Goodyear in the WEC, and that uh, will sit alongside a long-term contract as well for Michelin in the... Uh, in the hypercar uh, uh, way of uh, doing things too. So two tyre manufacturers will remain in the WEC for what we expect to be a two-class system. What we don't yet know is what's going to happen in the European Le Mans series, or for that matter, the Asia Le Mans series. Asia Le Mans has been exclusively Michelin for some time. Um, this year, again, in the uh, European Le Mans series, it is... Uh, Goodyear for LMP2, it is Michelin for LMP3, and it's Goodyear for GTE. Um, so it's going to be interesting one to see how this all pans out. Uh, do I think it's going to affect the numbers? Possibly, though 
I expected it to affect the numbers in the Michelin Le Mans Cup. And indeed, I'm absolutely aware there are two or three teams that uh, were going to enter the Michelin Le Mans Cup in GT3 that are certainly not listed um, for the full season. Uh, I think there's a bit of suck it and see uh, that's going to apply here. It, it's, a bit of what? It's, it's, a, it's a peculiar Anglo-Saxon um, suck it and see. It's nothing, okay. There's, there's nothing unpleasant about it. Uh, right. and, uh, stop tittering at the back. Stop it now. Okay. It's a perfectly adult statement. And it's a perfect, yes, yes. So uh, I think we have to wait and see uh, to see whether. Hashtag, uh, this, let's wait hashtag see. wait and see. Uh, to see whether or not this does have a negative impact. Uh, the other thing, of course, with the Asian Le Bonsu is, is we're going to have to wait and see as well. Hashtag wait and see what the strategy is going to be for the. Um, return or otherwise of the Asian Le Mans series to Southeast Asia. We don't yet know what the ACO are going to do. Are we going to see a kind of hybrid blend between Middle East and Southeast Asia? Are we going to see it move all the way back? I can't see the ACO giving up lightly a format which brought them close to 50 cars uh, in a winter series, uh, particularly popular with, of course, the GT3 teams, he would expect the ACO are keen to court. So there's a lot of things up in the air. It's going to be really interesting to see what it is that the ACO choose to announce at what is looking, MP, to be a pretty extraordinary uh, race meeting uh, in June. Uh, I'm trying to remember, did we, did we have time... To say last week, the, I know I, I was talking about this um, this parade of cars, this exhibition of cars that we're going to see. Did I mention that the show last week? You're asking me to remember something from last week. Well, let's, let's say it again because 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 either way, it, it it bears repeating. Amongst the world of the extraordinary that we are going to see this year at Le Mans is an amazing collection, unique, I think, in history prior to this point and probably beyond. We did mention this uh, now that I'm remembering, but don't stop because so, it's awesome. But yeah, tell us a little more if it, you can. Yeah, it's 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 an exhibition that's going to be in the new wing of the Le Mans Museum. Uh, that uh, uh, exhibition, I believe, starts on the 1st of June. I've been to that My museum once, okay? Yeah, uh, I, know I think who you're going to be going a second time. You know who I happened to come across while walking through there and maybe – might have been 2009 or something, maybe 2010. I found on. one other American in that museum at the same time. Brad Kettler. <laughs> wow. Of course, right? Legendary Audi uh, chief mechanic turned uh, race engineer, Le Mans winning engineer, all kinds of like, of course, Brad freaking Kettler. While there with the factory Audi team decides, I think it was the Friday uh, I think it was either right before, right after, you know, the traditional uh, ACO uh, press conference. But, uh, yeah, of course, I'm like, it was almost empty. It was delightful. Yeah. And I see one person down the end of the hall with a floppy hat. I'm like, eh, that's a little familiar. Color! So, anyways. Uh, but, yeah, definitely got to get back this year. Well, it's, it's, it's going to be a significantly bigger building this time. So, it is 70 of the 85 cars that have won the, the uh, Le Mans 24 hours. I'm told it's around the 70 mark. It might be slightly less. It might end up being slightly more. Not all of those 85 still exist. 
And five of those 85 have won it twice. All of the two-time winners are going to be there, is what I've been told. I've also now been told that just about every existing factory uh, that has a winner represented in that list is supporting the event, will be sending their cars, will also, I believe, for the most part, be supporting it with relevant drivers aboard those cars. So as a, for instance, one of the race-winning Toyota TSO50s is already in the Le Mans Museum. The other cars will be coming from Toyota. So all of the TSO50s that have won will form part of the exhibition, as will both of the GRO10 hypercars, the Groots. Um, those five cars will be uh, on display. And in addition to that, two of those cars, one TSO50 and one GRO10, will display on the full Le Mans circuit. Now, I've been told... Uh, that that should be both on the Friday, and you guess that be the morning because the afternoon is uh, the parade, and also on race morning, and that that parade, which will involve a significant proportion of those winning cars, will see the cars lap alone and at speed, which means that if you're there trackside, you will get the opportunity to see and hear these astonishing, history-making cars uh, in a way that's only those that were at those races way back when would have ever seen before. Um, there's lots of the other cars that I've been told will be there. Full support from, amongst others, Ferrari and Porsche. Uh, and they'll have, I'm sure, activated uh, their contact book for cars that weren't in the factory's ownership. I think you're going to see some amazing cars. And I think you're going to see some amazing drivers driving a lot of them as well. And I cannot wait i think that's it, it, it it's one of the most extraordinary things i think that's ever happened in the periphery of the le mans 24 hours and even before we see what's turned up those have been responsible for putting that collection together i doff my cap that's amazing that's an amazing uh doffing uh and donning and all kinds of thinking yep. with hats you know you mentioned something here to start this regarding lmgt3 mm. mentioned goodyear tires will Indeed. be the official vendor for that just a little bit of american history in case you and our listeners did not know the goodyear tire and rubber company when when graham did that mm. spring to life 1898 124 wow. years ago not only is that cool right and there's a reason I'm mentioning this, of course. Um, over a year ago, year and a half, I think, or so, uh, that 124-year-old American tire company, uh, that being Ohio-based, well, they bought another American tire company. One is 109 years old these days, founded in 1914. Whippersnapper. Cooper Tire. The yeah. Cooper Tire and Rubber Company. So when we say thank you, when we start the shows and end the shows and just give general love to those who love us, make the shows possible here, Graham, that being Cooper Tires, you know what we're really doing? It's kind of a sly way of saying thank you to Goodyear. <laughs> so when you <laughs> announce things and write things saying that this is happening, just my little insides make me happy. And just one more connection here, which sure. I'm, I'm, it's a reach, but it's okay uh my amazing wife chabrell uh raised in the 
Southern American state of Alabama. Born though, Akron, Ohio. Wow, really? All of these amazing tire companies and such. So yes, family moved when she was just the babiest of babies. But nonetheless, uh, there's, there's Ohio roots just running throughout my life. So... Well, I can, can I add a, another little bit of um, uh, a couple of bits of colour on this, by the way. It, we did mention it in our story on Delhi Sports Car. So uh, Goodyear did beat off some competition. Predictably, Michelin were looking to sweep the board, as they do as the one of the uh, uh, major sponsors for the Ims WeatherTech uh, Sports Car Championship. But there was a third company involved in that um tender and initially i believe a fourth i believe pirelli tendered uh, but withdrew um but i believe the third was hancock now hancock uh, interestingly did make a bid some years ago to get the naming rights for what has historically been the dunlop bridge it did of course run back in the day but was it a decade or more ago the uh, the Farnbacher Ferraris with Hankook branding and Hankook ties before we went to single make suppliers. So Hankook did take a good old stab at this one, fell a little bit short. The other quick thing to mention, by the way, though, Hankook in some trouble at the moment, MP, and they do supply a bewildering range of tires to a bewildering range of uh, motorsports championships including Formula E, uh, including, uh, for instance, the Graventic 24H series, but a major fire at their principal plant at home in South Korea. And they lost uh, because both the tyre plant and their major storage facility went in that fire. They lost 400,000 tyres in that. And I think that's going to have some knock-on effects for a number of customers for them, not just in terms of the road vehicles, but potentially in the short to medium term um, in motorsport potentially as well. And I think that's what maybe one to watch. Uh, final a little bit about this, because um, in uh, responding to a couple of um, questions online about the the, uh, the Goodyear announcement, a couple of quick people on one of the Discord channels I take part in were asking about why the switch had happened initially from Dunlop. Of course, the Dunlop Bridge it remains at Le Mans. Uh, it's got relevance because it's uh, Dunlop tyres, of course, still on motorcycles, and there's the, the 24 hours uh, uh, motorcycle race at uh, Le Mans, and also a 24 hour truck race at Le Mans, where Dunlop tyres also feature. Dunlop is not a company, it's a brand. What does that mean? It means that the Dunlop brand for tyres is owned by, or rather, has rights for at least four companies. Uh, Goodyear for the markets that you and I are most familiar with. Uh, Sumitomo Rubber uh, in several of the Asian marketplaces, but also in the United States when you buy a Dunlop tyre for a motorcycle. It's a different company for two and four wheels, would you believe, in in North America. Uh, Continental own it for certain Asian marketplaces. And there is Dunlop India, which is owned by a local supplier there. So Dunlop, you know, uh, we, we talk about it as a tyre company. It's a brand, and it's a brand that's not owned by one company. But uh, long may, by the way, the Dunlop Bridge survive because uh, slot racing requires it to do so because everybody's got a Dunlop Bridge. Yeah, 
Um, let me take a look where we're at in the good old clock ometer. Hey, uh, we're getting close to 50 minutes and Rocky is wow. becoming a genuine pain in the arse wanting <laughs> to be fed. So why don't we pick a couple, um, and say farewell to this episode. My brother, Graham, weckety weck, Jeff Barack. Ha ha. Uh, there's a couple of questions about LMH and IMSA with, uh, if both Michael O'Keefe and George Martin, could you possibly resubmit this question in a couple of weeks' time? I'd ask you just to do that um, because I think we'll have more that we can tell you um, on the questions they've asked about LMH in IMSA. Uh, my colleague Stephen Kilby is chasing up a story, and I think we'll be able to do something post-Portimao on this one. Um, let's have a quick look Lyle James on LMP2. With all the rumours circulating around the end of P2, do you have any concerns over how this may impact the philosophy around DPI and GTP? Or not DPI, uh, GTP. Seems that there are no P2 cars from which to form the base of a GTP design. This class model may not be able to continue beyond the current era. Lyle, I think you've got this one, with respect, completely wrong. Nobody is saying that P2 is going away. What we're saying is that P2 is likely to stop being part of the World Endurance Championship everywhere apart from Le Mans, okay? P2 will uh, survive with the current chassis until the end. It's 27 now in IMSA, is that right? Yeah, MP? I believe 27. That's what my brain um, is telling me. And the, the, if you like, the spine, the, the chassis of the LMDH cars, which are produced by uh, Dallara, for the BMW and the Cadillac, by Multimatic for the Porsche, for Orica, for currently for the Acura, and as of next year for the Alpine, and Ligier uh, as of next year for the Lamborghini. So four chassis. They will be the chassis that form the basis for the future uh, LMP2 class. Just exactly what those cars look like, what they'll be powered by, and exactly when they come into service and where remains to be announced and defined, but you have no problem, no worries at all, Lyle, that LMP2 will go on. Uh, I'll run through a couple more before we wrap it up. Adam King says, has the ACO hinted at what they expect the size of the LMGT3 grid to be in 2024? Uh, well, it's going to be defined by how many are left from 38, which I believe is the capped total for WC, after we've got the full season hypercars. So my guess is, around 18, 18 or 19 um, in LMGT3, I'd expect in 2024. Uh, let's have a quick look. Mark Hutchison, with all LMP2 teams using the Orica chassis now, what's happened with all the Multimatic, Ligier and Dallara chassis? Well, the answer is uh, lots of them are sitting gathering a lot of dust at the moment. Uh, I saw actually one of the teams with two of their Dallara P217s up for sale fairly recently. And I think they're they're just about eligible now for historic racing. So I think you're going to see some of them appearing there. Finally, though, uh, as we skip through a few on Super Sebring, etc. Let's try this one for you, MP, and I'll answer the same. Oh, no. Go on. No, no, go ahead. I really enjoyed, says John Schultz, uh, this year's April Fool story on DSC. That was a bit of silliness about a team putting together a Dallara chassis with Ligier bodywork. Um, what is your favorite sports car-related April the 1st story? 
Well, let me, I don't know if it's my favorite. I mean, I haven't done one in a long time, but I can tell you that on the kind of bookmark tab that I have that sits near the top on my Google Chrome browser, Graham Goodwin, I have a little item called Facebook Bug. And it's something that I've saved. And I once used it constantly. And I haven't and don't much more than a couple times a year because admittedly Facebook's become a little bit friendlier to interact with and, and make fixes to on various posts that we do. But I can tell you that at the time I bookmarked this and so I've been staring at this for years and years and years whenever I click this Facebook bug little bookmark icon it pulls up a link in preview to Volvo DPI project (coughs) breaks cover (laughs) dailysportscar.com um yes and so and this being from uh, apparently uh april 1st 2017 so for six years now i am staring at this delightful light blue with a yellow racing swedish racing stripe does that exist sure um staring at this fake volvo dpi that you somehow conned andy blackmore into doing for you i think no 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 it wasn't andy no No, it wasn't it's daniel hounsell who by the way remarkably i bumped into trackside at sebring not seen daniel for a little wee while apologies daniel it it had a a blackmorean look to it so that's a good thing yes i'm sorry so i still love that and i feel bad for our mutual pal calvin fish uh veteran uh imsa grand am alms and imsa again commentator He's one of my absolute favorites. I love Cal. Yeah. Uh, uh, he, he also uh, is a someone who employs the law firm, and I'm going back to old Three Stooges stuff from a century ago, uh, the law firm of Hook, Line, and Sinker, because <laughs> <laughs> your April Fools did get, yeah. as I recall, Cal, our pal Cal, Hook, Line, and Sinker, who, uh, he, yeah. He did actually announce it as fact, I think, Long Beach weekend, if I remember rightly, and I had to text him during commentary and let him tell as gently as you can we love you cal sorry man um i mean i could tell you and it's just because i remember it not because it's the best but and it is an andy blackmore thing i did and there's 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 two or three that one i have to tell you is absolutely my favorite by the way and i'm not going to point anybody in the direction of it but uh if you are listening the online news outlet that uh published a story this year about the volvo entry to hypercar if you reckon that is original content then your definition and mine are a little bit different my friend uh but yeah i mean dan daniel uh, amazing work with that and yeah we did enjoy that one the one i guess that comes closest to that was very early on i think it was 2002 2003 um, and uh, the April the 1st weekend was the opening weekend of the British GT Championship. 
and uh, one of the front-running cars that year was a Roll Centre racing car. You remember Roll Centre from their Le Mans exploits, but prior to that, Martin Short and co. Uh, were major players in the British GT Championship. Uh, they had their own build, TVR Cerberus Speed 6, which, by the way, became the first NGT, GT2 car in history um, to win a race in that class other than a Porsche. So they were the first team to to effectively take uh, uh, a class that had been dominated by Porsche there. They went on to run a factory TVR T400R, TVR Tuscan R in old money. Um, And they had a young man, a guy called Simon Pullen, who uh, star shone brightly for a number of years before he simply just bailed out the sport. And uh, uh, I'm still in touch with Simon. He's off doing cool stuff now around the world with with his wife and his his family. Um, I'm sending you a link right now to, again, it's just, it's my favorite simply because I remember it because I did it. And so I'm to blame. Um, I just sent this by email, not, uh, okay. uh, but, but, uh, uh, but uh, go ahead. Sorry, brother. But they saw the TVR in the old days before, um, brands hatch was slightly reconfigured. You may remember Marshall from certainly from TV Dingle Dell. Yes. Um, was that was a place that, that favored the brave and you would attack this flick flack really, I guess is what you call it. And the car would be all four wheels off, just a little, all four wheels off. The fastest line through, you would clatter the curb and the car would get briefly airborne. That's now been um, slightly dumbed down for safety after um, I think some marshals had a, a near miss with, as I recall it, a Seat Leon that made it all the way over the barriers. And, of course, we can't be having that. Um, so back in the day with the the young gun that was Simon Pollard, did this in qualifying, full attack mode, uh, a, a cracking driver. We handed over, uh, I think, a David Lord image to a guy you may remember, Marcus Potts. Amongst Marcus's claims to fame was he did deliveries for a number of significant cars at Le Mans, including the RML cars that won twice. But Marcus was a bit of a whiz back in the day with Photoshop. And what had been maybe two or three inches off the ground, this TVR uh, was a full, I guess, two and a half feet off the ground. Um, And that image still to this day goes, comes up from time to time. Is this real? Is this real? It was used for one thing and one thing only to really annoy Martin short. (laughs) And, And it did that. Uh, Simon on his second day in the team's employ after, Malcolm Cracknell barely um, suppressing the the chortle that was going to be uh, arriving here, you know. And it was, did did you see what you know what uh, Simon did in qualifying? Yeah, 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 yeah. But he was off the ground. We're all off the ground there, mate. Well, not like this. Have you seen this picture, Simon? Yes, <laughs> and almost fired uh, as a result of it. But that picture still comes around every year. If you haven't seen it. Um, do take a look at Google or another search engine. Just put in TVR, Tuscan R, Airborne, or Roll Center. It will come up, I guarantee you, because it's been ripped off mightily uh, down through the years. That is probably my favorite alongside the fabulous Daniel Hounsell um, 
uh, Volvo, and every single year it's tough as tough can be to come anywhere close to that. So I right would then. invite you to open the link to the store I just sent you, which oh, I commissioned Andy Blackmore to do. Um, and this had the exact effect I was hoping for. Not just oh, I, the, you know what? Not I, just I, I the is it, it real, is it not real, but pissing people off. Because at the time <laughs> this device was so hated, brand new somewhat newly introduced to Formula One, and it was so ridiculous. This is but, this is the W C mandates Halo from twenty nineteen. <laughs> and this fabulous line drawing of an L P one cockpit with a halo basically. on the outside, not the yeah, inside. On the outside, na- nailed to the front of it basically and absolutely marvelous i mean you know the joyful thing about this is in amongst an absolute tsunami of comment whether or not it's on social media whether or not it's emails and messages and thanks to those that do engage like that people get it we're we're looking to for a bit light-hearted and there's there's one guy on reddit who had a sense of humor failure and believes that anybody with an april fool's joke um lacks somewhere else in their in their lives well you know carry on it's not gonna stop me from doing it in the future and one of our indeed our press room colleagues did uh, after being taken in by another of my april fools back in the day uh, did feel it necessary to make it very clear publicly that if ever he was to write an april fool joke it would be clearly labeled as such clearly labeled that this is a joke and you should not take this seriously which i think is almost as funny as the volvo but there you go uh, maybe that's just me um that's it for this edition of the Week in Sports Cars. Thanks so much again to every, for everybody to, for contributing the uh, the questions. We'll be putting out another call for questions uh, before the start of next week. Thanks to Daniel Summersgill once again for turning around the list of questions so very quickly. Uh, thanks, of course, to uh, our friends at Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com for their continued support for this madness. Thanks, of course, to you, pal, uh, to Marshall Pruitt, Uh, without whom none of this would be possible. This is the Week in Sports Cars, and it's part of the Marshall Pruitt podcast collection. Uh, He's Marshall Pruitt. I'm Graham Goodwin. We're done. We'll speak to you next week.